0: We've been uh, talking about this, and we're going to start this series next week. We're going to start our Christmas Advent series next week. Each week during that series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the first Advent of Jesus, right? The first coming of Jesus. All right, so the story that uh, you associate Christmas with is, right, Jesus came in the form, right, of a baby. He was born in Bethlehem. He was born in a manger. All right, we're going to look at the Christmas story in Luke, and we're going to look at the first advent or the first coming of Jesus. People were anticipating this Savior for a long time, and he came. Okay, and we're going to look at the birth story all right, and his first coming. But then we're also going to look at the second advent. We're going to look at the second coming of Jesus as well. Because the promise that the Bible lays out for us is that he's returning, he's coming again. And he's going to set all things straight. He's going to redeem all things. Right? The Bible says that until he comes all right, for the second time, creation longs, it groans like a woman in childbirth until the Son of God is revealed, until Christ comes back and redeems it all. That's what the Bible teaches us, is that he came the first time to provide salvation through his death and through his resurrection for the payment for our sins, so that the wrath of God would not be poured out on you and me, but instead he would take on the wrath of God himself. And so he accomplishes this in the 33 years that he was here. All right, and then he ascended to be back with the Father, and he went back to the Father, and he said, hey, hey, be of good courage, take heart, I'm going to my Father's house to prepare a room for you, and when I return, I'm going to come get you, and I'm going to take you to that place that I've been preparing for you, and we're going to spend all eternity in the new heaven, in this new earth, where all things are redeemed. And so as a Christian, our hope is in, A, that salvation has been provided to us by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but B, our hope is in this, that he's coming the second time, and he's coming to get us, and he's coming to set things straight, return things to its original design, back to the garden. Right Where there's no weeping, there's no distress, there's no affliction, there's no tears. There's you and I dwelling with our creator in perfect joy and perfect peace. And so each week, we're going to look at the first coming, and we're going to look at the second coming all right, together. What do I say all that Isaiah 64 and 65, we've been in this series and walking through the back half of Isaiah where we're given this picture, of Jesus' second coming, and we've been asking the question, what am I supposed to do right now with my feet where they are, all right, to prepare myself or to get ready for that second coming? That's the series we've been in Isaiah, the 64 and 65, let me put it in context for you and then give us our takeaway, our take take home. What do I do with this? Okay, we talked about last week, all right, Isaiah 63, all right, there's this picture of Jesus, this bloody warrior, his garments are stained in red, and he's walking towards the city of God, and Isaiah's on the wall, he's the watchman, and he sees Jesus coming. He sees the king coming. He, he sees the Messiah coming to reign, to set all things right, to take his rightful place. He sees him coming from afar, and he's stained in the blood of his enemies because he's just avenged for all of the injustice, all of the evil, all of the sin that corrupts this world that we live in. He's just avenged and, and, and pronounced judgment on all of it. And so he's stained in blood, and he's marching in his strength towards the wall. This King Jesus coming to reign over his people. Okay? But Isaiah writes in 64, the end of 63 and 64, and he's praying. He's praying. And what he's praying for is he's praying that God would look upon his people with mercy. And the reason why he says that is because, guess what, right? Jesus hasn't returned yet. That prophecy, that vision of Jesus walking towards all right, the city as the victor, coming to reign, hasn't happened yet. That's what we're waiting for. Israel, all right, God's people, they're in exile while he's praying here. They're in exile for their sins. They got kicked out of the promised land because of their sins. God told them, hey, if you don't live according to the guide rails that I give you, there's going to be consequences to that. And so they've been kicked out of the promised land. And Isaiah, the prophet, is praying, God, look upon your people with mercy. Yes, they are where they are because their sins are all right, have consequences because you are a just God. And now because they're exiled, because of their sins, now they're being afflicted by other oppressors. And Isaiah's, all right, praying, pleading with God, look upon your people with mercy. Stir up your zeal, your passion. Stir up your zeal for your people. Yes, I recognize they are where they are because of their sins. And they're being afflicted now by their oppressors. Stir up your zeal for your people and for your name. Because these people, your name is attached to these people. And so now you got people slandering your name, God, because of the condition that they see your people in. Stir up your zeal for your people and your name. That's Isaiah 63, starting in verse 15 through Isaiah 64. God answers. God answers Isaiah's prayer in 65. And he says a couple things. The first thing that he says you'll find in verse six that I wanna pull out and show you. Uh, He says, behold it is written before me, I will not keep silent, I will not repay. I will indeed repay into their lap both your iniquities and your father's iniquities together, says the Lord. Because they made offerings on the mountains and insulted me on the hills. I will measure into their lap payment for their former deeds. God answers Isaiah, and he says, Isaiah, I hear you. First things first is there's consequences to my people's sin. This is judgment for their actions. And so this had to play out for multiple reasons. The second thing that he says, verse 8, thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and they say, do not destroy it, for there is a blessing in it. So I will do for my servants' sake and not destroy them all. I will bring forth offspring from Jacob and from Judah, possessors of my mountains. My chosen shall possess it, and my servants shall dwell there. He says, hey, Isaiah, I'm going to save a cluster. I'm going to save a remnant out of this exile. I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to start again. I'm going to show mercy. I'm going to look upon my people with mercy. I'm going to remember my promises. First things first is this is consequence for sin. Second thing is I will look upon my people with mercy. I will remember my promises, and I will preserve a remnant to bring them back for my glory and for their sake. Verse 10. I think it's fitting that we're celebrating the ministry of Sharon and Rick today. And verse 10 says, Sharon shall become a pasture for flocks in the valley of a car, a place for the herds to lie down for my people who have sought me. The illustration what God is saying here, all right, Sharon is a place, it's a it, 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 it's a it's a fruitful place, right? It's a plain, it's a pasture. Okay, that produces crops and where the herds, right, dwell. And back in Isaiah 33, all right, this Sharon, this plain that ran the northeast border, all right, of the promised land was a desert, Isaiah 33 says. It was desolate. It was in ruins. There was nothing fruitful coming from it. And so God is saying here, hey, the Sharon or the plain that is rich, that produces fruit and takes care of the herds, that runs the east border of the promised land, it's going to return to being fruitful. It's going to return to being fruitful. It's going to produce a yield. And then the valley of a car, the valley of a car. This hill country that runs the west side of the promised land. So you got the east side border, and you got the west side border that God is saying, I am going to restore. And it's a picture of God is going, hey, there's going to be a total restoration of my land from east to west. There's nothing that's going to be left uh, uh, unrestored, For my people's sake and for my glory. That's God's promise. You go on and read, it says, and we'll pick up more on this next week as we start our Advent series. He goes on to say, I'm going to bring the new heaven and the new earth down. You want to talk about restoration? Jesus is going to reign. It's all going to be restored. First things first, there's consequences for sin. But I will look upon my people with mercy. I will save a remnant, and I will totally restore their condition. God makes the same promise to you and I. As we wait for that completion, for that fulfillment to take place, he makes the same promise to you and I. This is where I'm going to end here. What do we do with this understanding, this picture? Go to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, verse 8 says this. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Jesus is the Savior of Jews, Paul says here. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles in him will the Gentiles hope. Isaiah, all right, he's pleading for God's people. He's pleading for he's pleading for the Jewish people in their specific situation and context. But one of the things you need to understand about the story that God has unfolded uh, until he completes this second return where he brings down the new heavens and the new earth, some of the Jews will always be hardened to the message of Jesus. And some of you in the room right now, because I can see it in your face, you're hardened to the message of Jesus. I just got some of your attention. Some of you are hardened to the message of Jesus, and the Jews will always be hardened to the message of Jesus until what? Romans tells us until the full number of the Gentiles are grafted in. Paul uses this analogy. If some of the Jews, some of the branches were cut off of the root. They were cut out of the tree. And the the Gentile people, are being grafted into the tree. And when the full number of the Gentiles are grafted in, then this fulfillment of God fulfilling his promises to the Jewish people are going to come to bear. That's what he's saying here in Romans 15, that Jesus came the first time, his first advent, he's salvation for the Jews and he's salvation for the Gentiles and now we're waiting for the second advent. What do I do with that right now? The warrior stained in blood, marching towards his city to reign forever. As I wait for that, what do I do right now? Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You need to ask yourself seriously this question. As I wait for the king to march towards the city in victory and to reign for all of eternity, am I abounding in hope right now? Am I looking towards the future with dread? Am I looking towards tomorrow with dread? Do I look at my kids and I'm discouraged? I'm doubtful. Do I look at my marriage and I'm discouraged? I'm doubtful. I don't know where it's heading. I don't know where it's supposed to be heading. You look at your work and you don't know if you're going to get laid off. You're going to keep, you're looking for a job. You don't know if you're going to find the job, right? You're trying to make ends meet. Ask yourself, am I abounding in hope right now? Am I becoming more and more hopeful the closer and closer I get to Jesus' second advent? If you're not, why not? If you are, How are you abounding in hope? Verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. How do you abound in hope as we wait? for the return of Christ, it's through the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Because we've submitted to Jesus as Lord and Savior, it's the Holy Spirit that brings things to our conscience, reminding us of the promise, he's coming, he's coming, he says he's going to restore, totally restore the east border, the west border, he's coming. have you lost sight he's coming he says you're being transformed from one degree of glory to the next the holy spirit's bringing these scriptures to mind you're being transformed zach you're not the same today that you were yesterday abound in hope look around you the holy spirit gives you eyes to see the glorious things that are happening around you are you seeing them Because when you see them, when the Holy Spirit shows them, when you see them, it'll cause you to abound in hope. I don't understand your circumstance. I understand what you're going through. But let me show you, I'm at work here. I'm leading you towards this conclusion where Jesus marches into the city. Abound in hope. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in us that causes us to abound in hope. Are you abounding? In hope. I shared with Sharon and Rick, and then I'll be done earlier. Galatians calls us because the Spirit dwells within us and is speaking to us and leading us and giving us direction, we're to keep in step with what the Spirit says. You want to abound in hope? You need to learn how to recognize the Spirit's voice. John 10, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. They won't follow another. If you're not abounding in hope, the reality is you're probably following another voice. You're probably listening to another voice. You're probably not looking at what the Spirit wants you to see. How we get ready for this day, how we abound in hope until this day, because we're victorious people already? we got to pay attention to the spirit of God. People ought to look at you and I and go, that guy, that gal, they abound in hope regardless of the context. Regardless of the context. And that's a great testimony. That's a great testimony when somebody can look at you and go, that person abounds in hope. Peter says, always give a reason. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Always be ready. Stay with me. We're going to pray, and I'm going to give you instruction, and we'll go eat. Amen? Amen. And God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promise. Thank you for looking upon us with eyes uh, and, and mercy. God, thank you for being a just God. Thank you for being a just God. You're not, you're not wavering in your convictions. You're not flimsy. You're not soft. You're not pliable by me. There's nothing I can do to move you in a sense where you wouldn't be just anymore. And I'm thankful for that. Thank you for the promises. Thank you for the mercy. Thank you for the hope. God, I pray that this church, that we would lean into the spirit, the power of the spirit that dwells within us, that dwelt within you. We would lean into that spirit so we would abound in hope. For then we would be a fragrant aroma of hope to the people we encounter. God, we ask this in your name. Amen.